we are going to turn to the word right now. So would you bow with me and let's pray. God, we do indeed give you praise. What a perfect song to begin our time in the word now. All honor and glory to you because you are the one who deserves that. And Lord, as you know, that's been the theme of our entire 50-year celebration this year, that we're not pointing to us, we're not uh, taking any accolades ourselves. We realize that it's your power, your spirit, your goodness that has poured through this church for 50 years. And God, on bended knee and humbly, we look forward to the next 50 years. And that if your son should tarry, what you would do in and through us as we continue to submit to you and focus on you and live life according to your word. And so, Father, as we talk about that now and the vision that you've laid out for us as a church that follows Jesus, we pray that you'd get us all on the same page now and that, Lord, we might give honor and glory continually to you now through the teaching of your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I got to tell you, it is hard to overestimate the importance of this weekend in the life of Scottsdale Bible Church. It it really is. Uh, This weekend, as Jeff mentioned, is the capstone to our 50th anniversary celebrations. And with our focus this year being Remember, Rejoice, Renew, we have accomplished up to this point a lot of the remembering and rejoicing. We brought all six of our five of our senior pastors back to preach with us. We did an entire journey of worship. We took 42 mission trips this year all over the world. We did countless service projects. We did hours and hours of prayer. Truly, we've done a lot of things this year to remember and rejoice in God's goodness to us throughout the year, throughout the years, and it's been a great year. And today, This day, we are now turning ourselves, I like how Jeff said it, we're taking the veil down on the last 50 years, and we're now looking forward and renewing ourselves and our church to God and his purposes for generations to come. Think about it. Many, if not most of us, are not going to be here to celebrate the culmination of the next 50 years in 2062. The reason I know that is because statistically, I'm not going to be here in 2062, and if I'm not, all of you have no chance. And so the reality is, is that most of us, here's the good news, are going to be with the Lord in heaven for eternity, happier here, or happier there than on our best day here, so it won't be a bummer that we're not going to be here in 50 years. But my point in telling you that is that a 50-year celebration is a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, whether it be for a marriage, whether it be for your entire life, whether it be for your church. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and this is truly a defining moment for our church, for you, and for me. And so let me read for you the words of Jesus to the seventh church of Asia Minor, the church of Laodicea, found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. As you know, we've asked each of our previous senior pastors, five of them, to walk us through the words that Jesus gave to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We're now to the final church, the seventh church, and I want to read for you what the angel says and Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing 
that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I reprove, or I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're awfully compressed for time today, obviously, because of so much we're trying to do in our 50th anniversary celebration here. But I want you to notice with me, rather quickly, five major movements contained here in the words of Jesus to the church in Laodicea, five movements that have everything to do with you and I today. And the first one is what I'm going to call spiritual temperature. It's the movement of spiritual temperature. Jesus says in verses 15 to 16, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you be either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, let's wrestle with this for a minute, folks. The, the common interpretation of this passage is that Jesus is telling the church that they are lukewarm, not really on fire for him, and that he wishes that they would either be completely on fire or not on fire at all. That's the common interpretation with the implication that we should be hot and on fire rather than lukewarm or worse, even cold. But the problem with this interpretation is that it's a bit awkward hearing Jesus say that one of the options to being lukewarm would be that we would be cold. I mean, why would he even want that to be an option, even an option to being lukewarm? It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, unless Jesus is being highly sarcastic, which he was not on very often. So I think it's actually when you understand a little bit about the town of Laodicea back then and what was going on in the geography back then that you begin to see this passage in a little bit of a different light. Let me show you. As many of you know, I, I went to Turkey, southwest Turkey, a couple of years ago with about 80 people from our church, and I got to go to Laodicea. So here is a picture of what Laodicea looks like today. You can see that it's obviously in ruins, and yet that's not too bad for 2,000 years later. And Laodicea back then, this town that you're seeing right here, this is the main uh, road in Laodicea, was a very, very prosperous city. It was very wealthy. It was an international banking center back then. It was a trade route between Ephesus and Pergamum. It was a city in which there was a lot of upper middle class to wealthy people. And it was a thriving city, Laodicea was. It had a world-class medical center, kind of like we do here with Mayo. And people from all over the region would come to the medical center in Laodicea to receive treatment as they knew it back then. But what's most fascinating when you look at Laodicea is that six miles on each side of Laodicea were two different towns that have everything to do with the water temperature that's being talked about here. So give me another click here, I'll show you what I mean. When you look toward the mountains about six miles away from Laodicea, you can see that tucked way in there in the center there at the bottom of the mountains is a little city. Kind of looks like McDowell Mountain Ranch from this vantage point. But it's not. It's the city of Colossae, 
where Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. And it's a little city six miles from Laodicea in which all the snow melt would come off those mountains and provide cool, refreshing water that they would then have to pipe in from Colossae to Laodicea. You see, Laodicea did not have their own water source. And so where they got their water was from Colossae, six miles away, and the cool mountain water that would refresh them, that would revitalize them, would come from Colossae. Now hang on to that. You look six miles the other way, and this is what you see when you look six miles the other way. And I got to tell you, from a distance, you're thinking right now what I did. You're thinking, where did that snow come from? It's like, did they import that in because... You know, there's no mountains for the snow to come from. That's the town of Hierapolis. We went there. Give me another click here. And here's what you find when you get there. It's not snow. It's actually calcium deposits from a very unique hot water system that bubbles up out of the ground that is very calcium rich. And when the water evaporates, it leaves this calcium deposits all over that hill. And this place became known as a place of healing. People would come from all over Asia Minor back then and even today to dip their feet and their bodies in this warm, calcium-rich water because it was powerful in its heat to soothe and heal worn limbs. In fact, that's exactly, give me another click here, what our people did when we got there. They rolled up their pants and they put their feet in there after walking all day long. And I love Mike's, Mike there on the, the right there center. He's just looking like, I'm staying here for the rest of the day. And that's exactly what people did. And so maybe now you can see what Jesus is saying to this church is that you have neither the cool, pure water from Colossae nor the hot, healing water from Hierapolis. And what you basically are left with is just lukewarm water that is neither fit for drinking or healing. And as a result, I'm about ready to spit this stuff out of my mouth. Don't miss this. The spiritual temperature of this church was neither soothing nor nourishing in its coldness, nor healing or restoring in its hotness. It was lukewarm, and as a result, they weren't very usable in the hands of God. And so Jesus wants a church that is cool and nourishing, hot and healing. This church was neither. And that's his point to us. Which are we going to be? Now, hang on to that. That's the first movement of these words to Jesus in this church. And notice with me a second movement of these words. It's what I call the movement of sufficiency. The movement of sufficiency. You're going to like this. In verse 17, uh, Jesus says, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, remember when I said a few seconds ago that Laodicea was a very wealthy and prosperous area, kind of like Scottsdale? What you need to know is that this church living in that culture had allowed their wealth and resources to create in them a strong sense of self-sufficiency, which as we all know, having wealth and being blessed can cause in one's life. You tend to sit back, you tend to take it easy, you tend to say, I'm doing okay. The only problem is, is that when you do that, it also tends to take away from God sufficiency, from dependence on God. Self-sufficiency, though it feels good, is usually never a friend of God's sufficiency and God dependence. And so this church took way too much comfort in their wealth, and they most likely were not generous with it. 
and has caused them to realize that their soul and life was too much dependent on the things around them and not enough dependent on God. He wanted them to solely and deeply depend upon him, not on their economy, not on their riches, not on their 401ks, not on their nice medical facilities, not on the state-of-the-art chariots that they were driving or the brand-new togas that they got at the Laodicea quarter. No, he didn't want them to depend on any of those things. Like I'll slip that in. He, he, he didn't want us to depend on any of those things. He wanted them to depend on himself. And he was saying, you're not very sufficient in and of yourself. You need me. Then notice a third movement of Jesus' words here. This is awesome. He talks about purchasing power. Purchasing power. Look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Three word pictures here you don't want to miss. He says, you got to get for me gold, which is spiritual wealth, obviously here. What Peter in his epistle calls genuine faith. He wants them to stop seeking after money and seek after faith and trust so that they might find their satisfaction in him. And then, interesting, he says, I want you to get white garments. Isn't that fascinating? White in the book of Revelation always means righteousness and holiness. Always. It was a sign of purity, of being set apart to God. And so once again, God is saying, I wish you were set apart for me. And then most fascinating, he says, I want you to get salve to anoint your eyes. I told you earlier that Laodicea was a medical center. And we know from history that they had developed a very special salve for people that had poor eyesight back then. And it was known and used all throughout Asia Minor. That's why we have record of this. And this salve that was a mixture of oil and Phrygian powder could help people whose eyesight was failing start to see with more vision and sight. And so God, by analogy, is saying, I want this church to have vision, to be clear-sighted, because they're kind of blurry right now. Hang on to that. Then a fourth movement of Jesus' words here is probably best summed up by labeling it passion that repents. Passion that repents. He says very simply in verse 19, those who I'm, whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Essentially, Jesus is saying to this church, now, now I hear his tenderness in this. He's saying, I, I know my words are tough here and I know they're really hard for you to hear but I'm only telling you these things because I love you just like a father loves his kids. So hear them, apply them, obey them, and follow them because they come from a heart of love. And once you can hear what I'm saying to you, be zealous, be passionate for me and my kingdom and turn to me. Be on fire in your relationship with Christ and be on fire for what he's doing on planet earth in the lives of others. And then a fifth and final movement to these challenging words of Jesus to this first century church is a very common metaphor that you and I are going to relate to in life. And I call it the, the knock on the door, the knock on the door. Look at, at verse 20. Some of the most commonly repeated words of Jesus are found here. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's not a complicated image, is it? <laughs> Just shows Jesus standing outside a door. He's knocking on the door. 
And he's saying, I hope you open the door and, and come in so that I might have relationship and fellowship with you. But one of the tragedy of these words of Jesus here is that Christians today, like 98% of the time, use this verse as an evangelistic verse. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like, like they quote this all the time to non-Christians and saying, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. I hope you open it and let him in. And, and though it's a great analogy, the only problem is, is that that's not the context of this passage here. He's not writing this passage to lost people. Interesting, he's writing this to the church. He's saying this is a church that has not prioritized relationship with me, and so they're doing their church thing, but I'm not even in the room. They're doing their church thing, but they don't have a relationship with me. And he's saying, so I'm standing at the door knocking, and I want to be let in. This is an analogy of fellowship and hospitality and of restored relationship that God is getting at here with this church. And so add up all of these movements. You got spiritual temperature, sufficiency, purchasing power, passion that repents, and the knock on the door. And when you add all this up, you end up realizing that God essentially wants two overriding things from his people. Two things that will summarize what our vision is for the next 50 years of Scottsdale Bible Church. And here they are. God wants a faith relationship of trust and dependence from his people a faith relationship, and then he wants a people who have vision and zeal for his kingdom and his church. Don't miss this, folks. God wants people who are on fire for him, complete with hot and cold water, deep dependence, faith that is like gold, and ones who open the door when he knocks on the door of their life. He wants a faith relationship of trust and dependence. And then he wants people who are passionate for his church and sold out for what he's doing on planet earth. People who have clear vision, who are zealous, who are passionate about their calling to reach a lost world. This was his call to the church in Laodicea. And this is his call to you and me today. These are timeless words and they're very fitting for our celebration today. God wants a church of unwavering faith and trust in him and a church that knows what it is called to do, to win, to build, to send, to win others to Christ, build them up in their faith, and then send them back out into stormy life to help win others to faith. And this is what you and I are renewing ourselves to today. Don't miss this. We are renewing our commitment, each of us individually, and then corporately as a whole, to the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're renewing today our trust and dependence on him. We're asking each one of us in our heart of hearts to re-up in our commitment to him. And then, right on the coattails of that, we're asking you to renew your commitment, again, personally and then us together, to the purposes and plans that God has for his church. And we've given a lot of thought, as Jeff mentioned earlier, about what this is going to look like and what we need to then do from this point on. And so one of the things that we're unveiling today that we'll be beginning more clearly in January of just this next year is that we will be engaging in a full-blown spiritual campaign for our church that we've entitled Compelled by Grace. Compelled by Grace. We want to focus us all on God himself and our relationship with Jesus Christ and then focus us also on a lost world that needs so desperately the church. Our theme verses for this, for this campaign are going to be 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. 
that says, for the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Simply put, Jesus Christ died for you. He loves you. His death was an atoning death so that you might have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. And the reality is, is that the Bible says that he died for a lost world as well. And so we're compelled by that grace. We're compelled by that love to tell others about Jesus. Our second theme verse is Luke 14, verse 23. Jesus' words. He says, and the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. We want to compel the 87% of Scottsdale who, don't, who do not go to church on any given Sunday, 87%, to consider if Scottsdale Bible Church might not be their home. We want to reach out to a city that's known for resort living, biking, golfing, and living the good life, but 87% who haven't found a church home, and many of them haven't found a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'd like to in love compel them in the years ahead to consider the claims of Christianity, the claim of Jesus on their life, and whether Scottsdale Bible Church could help them. We want to be compelled by his grace. And so the three-legged stool that this renewal campaign is going to rest on, the three goals that our elders and staff have set for this campaign are as follows. You're going to love these. And that is that we want to reach our community, we want to impact our world, and we want to leave a lasting legacy. This is what we want to do over the next 50 years, guys. We've thought about this. We've prayed about this. This is what has grit and teeth to us when we consider God's amazing grace. We want to reach our community, impact our world, and leave a legacy. And this is what we're renewing ourselves to today. So think about it. SBC, as we've said all year long, has an amazing history of 50 years, right? I mean, it's not to our glory, it's only to God's, but let's face it, there have been some things that this church has done through the last 50 years that has allowed itself to show itself faithful to God and usable in his hands. Think about all the things that you love about this church. We teach the word clearly and unashamedly. We reach out to our community through service and evangelism. We engage in vital and life-giving fellowship with each other through hundreds of small groups and Bible studies and enrichment classes. We provide multiple worship venues so that music doesn't divide us but unites us. And that's valuable to us. We pray, we counsel, we encourage, we give generously, we have solid and godly eldership and leadership. We overdose on world missions as a church. All of you have certain things that you love about this church. Think of that right now. All under the guise of grace and truth, that's what's gotten us up to this point. But here's what we also need to realize, is that it would be so tempting for us to become Laodicea. It would be so tempting, wouldn't it be? I mean, more tempting than I think we realize, for us to say, gosh, has it been a lot of hard work to get up here? And we've done a lot. And God's got to be happy with us. I mean, if he was writing a letter to us, he'd say, way to go. I I mean, I I see what Senator McCain and Governor Brewer see in you guys. I mean, if if God was going to do that, I I, I think some of us think he'd write a letter like that. And we would think something like this. You know, we put in a lot of hard years. And, you know, when, when you push a bike and you pedal it and you stop pedaling, does it stop immediately? No. It kind of keeps going. That's what coasting is about. And so there's a temptation in some of us to say, 
maybe we can just coast for a little bit. You know, I mean, we're a powerful church. We're like a 747 flying through the air. Maybe we can just put this thing on autopilot and let it go a little bit. And I believe if we did that, then every word of the angels, or to the angel, to the church in Laodicea, would be appropriate for us. I think God would say you need salve for your blurry vision. You need white garments because you're not set apart for me anymore. You're not really on fire for me. In fact, I'm on the other side of the door and I'm knocking on the door of your church. I think if you and I slow down an ounce, in fact, I think if we don't speed up, then we're not doing what God's calling us to do. We believe that the heart of our strategy for the next decade or two that will lead us well into the next 50 years is to expand our impact. That's what we need to do. We've toyed with whether we should change our mission statement. Wouldn't that just be awful? We've toyed with whether or not we should try to add something really scintillating and exciting to our vision, but it's exciting enough. We've toyed with whether we should mess with our current core strategy. We thought, well, let's not do that because it still works really well. And so what the elders have said is, is that what's going to take us into the future and allow us to reach more people in Scottsdale is to make more room, to expand our impact, to do the things that we do really well, but now set some big, hairy, audacious goals for what we might be able to do to reach more people in Scottsdale and throughout the world. We want to reach our community, impact our world, and leave a legacy. So very quickly, we have a fourfold strategic strategy for strategic strategy, four strategic initiatives for our church that we have set that we're going to be implementing right away in 2013. Four things I want to share with you that you're going to hear a lot more about as we go along, but will be core to our Compelled by Grace campaign. And the first one is simply this. We need to engage in a campus redesign that increases space for adult worship as well as children and teen ministries and provides better flow and space for fellowship and evangelism to take place. You know, one of the deceptive things about Scottsdale Bible Church is that when you have seven services every Sunday, four in this place, two over in the venue, and then one for 20-somethings at night, and then you start a Cactus Campus that now has 500 people worshiping at Cactus and 25th Street, it, it tends to, to think, make people think that we're not out of space. But we are. Uh, right now, in our current ministry structure, we are out of space between 9 and noon in our high season in, the worship, in our worship space. We're out of space in junior high. We're out of space in Club 5-6. We're running fast out of space in elementary school. And we're out of space in our special ministries. Uh, simply put, on our 18 and a half acre campus here, we have a space problem that we need to deal with. And we have found a way that we're going to share with you in a couple of months here to provide 700 more worship seats, a 40% increase in children's ministry and teen ministry, tripling the space of our special ministry, as well as provide increased pastoral care space for weddings, funerals, and other intimate pastoral gatherings, and it won't involve buying any more land. Some of you are saying, how were you able to do that? Well, five loaves feeding 5,000 people. It's what the church does. Now, I'm not kidding. We didn't pull a miracle. But we did engage a, a very, very skilled architectural firm who has been able to come up with a plan to maximize our 18 and a half acres. It's just going to take redesigning our campus. And so on January 13th, that's a Sunday you're not going to want to miss. You might want to chisel that one in stone. January 13th, we're going to be unveiling this campus redesigned to you in all of its detail and taking the entire service to do so and talk further 
about how we're going to get this done. It's a significant way, folks, to reach our community, impact our world, and leave a legacy to our kids that they're going to love us for. And then a second key strategic initiative that we want to engage in over the next few years and beginning in 2013 will be to add more multi-site campuses so that we might take church to those that won't come. Now, now dial into this. You know, one of the most successful things, and this kind of flies under the radar, one of the most successful things of Scottsdale Bible Church that we've done in the last decade, believe it or not, has been to launch new campuses, beginning with our North Campus that is now North Bible Church, and then this year with our Cactus Campus, we have been able to take the DNA of this church that all of us have benefited from, and we've been able to take it to North Scottsdale and now North Phoenix and literally transplant it to other areas. And it's highly successful. One of the reasons it's successful is because unlike church planting, which I'll talk about in a minute, church multi-site has the same sermon. It's just done live via simulcast. The same elders overseeing all of it. The same staff that are running it. It's just that it's a different group of people in a different location. But it's a much easier thing in one sense to manage. And our Cactus Campus has been so uh, successful that when we opened it about a month and a half ago, the very first Sunday we announced next Sunday we're going to two services because we had so many people. And then the next Sunday I went there to preach because Daryl was here preaching here. And, and there were so many people in the two services that we now had that I told a hundred of them, you got to come back to the main campus. I did. I said, because this isn't for you. I mean, I know it's fun, but, but come on back because this is for the community. If we fill it with Scottsdale Bible Church people, then who do we have to reach, right? And, and some of them have come back as a result of that. And now we got a perfect mix there in two services with enough people to seat it from our church, but enough empty seats that they need to roll up their sleeves now and reach lost people for Christ. It's really exciting. And it's proven to be a great and workable strategy to reach our city and leave a legacy. So here's what we want to do. We want to plant three to four additional multi-sites over the next five to ten years, expanding our impact north, southwest, and possibly even east. And so I get asked this question all the time. We had 100 people at our guest luncheon last Sunday after the third service, and a gal said to me, I live in Mesa. When are you guys coming down to Mesa? And what did I say? I didn't say like, you know, when, when heaven freezes over or something like that. I said, you know what, we're coming down to Mesa as soon as we can. Just hang on. We do have plans to bring our church to other places. We want to reach our community, impact our world, and leave a legacy. And this will be a great way to do it. Now, I mentioned third church planting. So a third strategic initiative, very briefly, I want to talk to you about, and you'll be hearing more about this, is that this is so awesome. We're going to be entering into a church planting partnership with Phoenix Seminary. A church planting partnership with Phoenix Seminary. And here's the logic behind this one. Though multi-site is a great and workable strategy, you got to love this, folks. We have plenty of young, passionate, ministry-focused pastors who want to do their own thing. Do you remember when you were their age? When you were their age, if the senior guy was to say, hey, got a multi-site for you to run for me, you'd say, I don't want to run a multi-site for you. I want to go do my own thing because I think you're a dope and you're not doing church very well. I don't know how they can say that about me, but I got teenagers, so I do get that. And so we got young pastors here who have their own vision and they love Jesus Christ and they're ready to go out on their own. We have young pastors all throughout the nation like that. 
And we need to support them and encourage them and champion them and give them just enough to get started, but let's not make it too easy. Amen? So here's what we want to do. We, we want to have a, a partnership with Phoenix Seminary in which we attract the best and brightest to Phoenix to do their MDiv at Phoenix Seminary while also doing a three-year internship in church planting here at Scottsdale Bible Church where you can love on them, get to know them, encourage them. And then after three years, we're not hiring them. We're sending them out to plant churches either here or across America or even across the world. And our goal is to plant 10 churches in 10 years through a church planting partnership with Phoenix Seminary. And I can't wait to see how this develops. And then fourth, but certainly not least, a strategic initiative we have planned is to engage in international ministry expansion. Folks, we all know this one. Scottsdale Bible Church has consistently been strong in world missions. We support over 50 missionaries all throughout the globe, and we have unique works in Tanzania, Mexico, and the Middle East. And so we want to take what we have done well and now turn our focus to Western Europe, where, by the way, 2 to 4% of people describe themselves as evangelical Christians. Roger, the seat of the Reformation, the seat of the Reformation, the people that founded the Christian values of our country 200 years ago now have an entire area where only 2 to 4% claim Jesus. And so we want to focus our sights on Western Europe and do church partnerships there and work with some Christian organizations there to do what we've done so well in Africa now in Western Europe. And we also have some increased involvement in the Middle East where we want to bring the healing bomb of Christ to an obviously strife-ridden area. We want to impact our world internationally and leave a legacy for years to come. Four strategic initiatives that affect everything from our campus to our city to the fabric of our country, even to our world. And you know, as I, I wrote all this down just this week, as this was coming off the press by about, we didn't think of this this week, by the way. I put it together this week. As it was coming off the press on Friday... I got to this point and I thought to myself, you know, if I was you guys and I'm hearing this big lofty vision, I'd be asking myself, so why are we doing this? I mean, bring it down to the individual. Why are we going to engage in all this big picture stuff? It's simple. So that we can hear and see more stories like the ones that we heard last weekend at our precious baptism service. That's why. This past year, we saw 250 people get baptized in our church Stories like Robin, who found Christ recently here from a Jewish background and gave testimony last weekend to the joy and peace that she has found in realizing who her Messiah truly is. Or how about Gil, an 81-year-old senior who came forward at the invitation in our last series to receive Christ during the I Am series, and he said, and I quote, it took me a long time to get here. I'm just amazed that God remembered me. Didn't that touch you? Or how about all the little ones that we saw baptized last weekend who will remember growing up in this church, finding Jesus here, being discipled and taught in the way of the Christian faith, and then they're going to go out and influence their generation for Christ. Man, we, we've been given such a tall order as a church, and that's why we do this. For Robin, for Gil, for the little ones, that's our calling. And that's why we renew ourselves today. Each and every one of us. Because folks, make no mistake, it's going to take each and every one of us. In one sense, it takes all of us together. But do we all understand that all of us don't become all of us until each of us renew ourselves and commit? 
So we're going to be asking you in the coming months to pray and to pray like crazy. This has to be built on prayer. We're going to ask you to serve, to find your role and niche, whether on this campus, in a small group or a ministry, or maybe in one of our multi-sites or in a church plant or out in missions. We're going to ask you to serve and get involved. We're obviously going to ask you to give. These things are going to require resources. We're going to talk about that in January and February as we move on in our campaign. But we truly believe that this is what God is calling us to. The elders and, and staff have completely stacked hands on this. We have a significant meeting this Thursday with three to 400 of our leaders to unveil some of the details of this, and we are so excited about where God is leading us. One of the main messages we've heard God tell us is that we've had an amazing 50 years. We dare not rest now. That would just be awful. What we need to do is expand our impact, doing the things that we've done so well, but in an increasing way, and then watch God use us. We put together a video for you right now that is my favorite of all the videos we've shown today that just kind of adds some, some music and some, some pictures to this. Looking a little bit back, but then dreaming about what can be. So the band is going to come out and play for us now and show you this video. And then after that, Jeff Goble, chairman of our elders, is going to come up and lead us in a time of rich prayer and some challenging words. And then we're going to close with one last worship song that I hope you belt out to God as you worship him and dream with me for what he can do in our midst. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you that you are a God of immense vision and immense life change. And that, Father, you have a vision for everybody here today. You do. They're not here by accident. Whether they're a visitor or a longtime member, God, you have a vision for our lives and what we can do as we follow and trust you and how we can be used by you. And, Father, as you have wrought amazing life change in many of our lives, we now want to turn our focus to others and say, Lord, how can you use us? How can you use us to see many, many stories come true about people who come to know Jesus and grow in their faith in him? So, God, we commit ourselves today. We renew ourselves today, first and foremost, in our relationship with you and in our individual private faith in you and our trust in you as a corporate church. We know that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior. He is seated on the throne. He is risen from the dead, and we follow him and him only. And, God, we also commit ourselves to your church, your universal church made up of all people, all everywhere that claim the name of Jesus and band together to do kingdom work. God, use us to reach our community, impact our world, and leave a lasting legacy. So, Lord, continue to draw us close to you, we pray, in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, amen.
of the things that uh, many of you don't see, and you shouldn't see it, is the fact that, that we have 13 elders that serve like crazy behind the scenes. I, I'm telling you, I, I see what they do, and, and it's not just meetings, but they are leading teams, and they're rolling up their sleeves and working like crazy so that all the stuff that we do and dream about can become reality. And Jeff Goebel's the chairman of our elders this year. He's an outstanding leader, an outstanding man of God. He's been in this church for 40 years, right? Even that. And, and he's originally from Pittsburgh, which I don't hold against him, even though he's a Steelers <laughs> fan. But I, I, I just love this man, and he's an awesome leader. And he's going to share a few words of challenge to us, and then I've asked him to pray as we uh, go into our closing song and just pray God's blessing upon our church. So, Jeff. Thanks, Jamie. I stand here before you not just as me, as Jeff, as the chairman of the Board of Elders, but I stand here representing all the brothers you saw in the video earlier, and even beyond that, this dialogue has been going on for a number of years. I can trace God moving amongst the Board of Elders and the pastoral team over a long period of time. I call it a holy discontent, H-O-L-Y, that's been building. You know, in Matthew 25, as Jesus is, is talking about the parable of the talents, and he describes giving five, giving two, and giving one talent to individuals to, to manage for the master, I've told Jamie, I really think about Scottsdale Bible Church as a 10-talent church. And those of you who have been around the world and have seen what the rest of the world lives like, I think you understand what I mean. He has entrusted us with a wealth of resources, and he is worthy of our sacrifice and worthy of, of our work for him to build his kingdom. And so this process that's been going on, again, it goes back years. I'll tell you just briefly, about two years ago, we as elders and pastors had a retreat to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to figure out what exactly God wants from us in terms of evangelism and reaching the lost. That's all we talked about on the entire retreat. And we came away understanding that we wanted to preserve everything that Scosta Bible Church has been over 50 years, but add to it a new zeal and a new passion for the lost. We became, in that time, compelled by grace. So I stand here representing my fellow elders, the Council of Elders. We have also blessed us, which means all of the elders who have ever served here and continue to qualify have also been through this with us to validate where God's leading our church. And I tell you, we are enthusiastically, wholeheartedly, sacrificially, and with great excitement committed to this. And we invite you to take this adventure and journey with us because he is worthy, right? He is worthy. Would you join me in praying? Father God, we just are so grateful that you have led this church for 50 years. You continue to lead. Thank you for giving us renewed passion for the lost, renewed passion to make disciples, renewed passion to bring glory into you, to build your church, and to love you, Lord Jesus. We ask you to guide us, lead us, and humble us as we learn how to follow you and to take big chances for you and, and to work hard for you and to sacrifice for you. And we ask that all these things would bring you nothing but glory and reach a lost people who so desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen.